expected someone to say about you. They won't always say it. But man, some guys are good. They'll just say everything you tell them to say about you. All right, very kind words. And this silver hair stands for the fact it was premature. It was just now supposed to get here. It got here when I was 27 years old. But um, I still got some hair. For that I am thankful. There are four stages to a man's hair. Ball fuzz is was. slowly approaching that final stage to where I'm losing a little I told my wife today I said I'm losing a little of my hair I got to do something about it she says no you don't funny things about age uh, I'm deaf on my left side totally deaf when I was 33 years old I had a bad case of mumps meningitis severe infection they said I should have been in the hospital and because uh, I should have actually been in a coma. The infection was so bad. I wasn't in a coma. Uh, I was starting a home mission church then. You just can't afford to go to the hospital and stay in the hospital when you're starting a home mission church. You just have to kind of get healed, get well, get faith to do something. And um, it destroyed the nerve from the ear to the brain. It did not destroy the brain. One man said, it got your brain. No, it didn't get my brain. It was the nerve. But I'm deaf on the left side. So sometimes people say things I can't hear. And sometimes people say things I don't want to hear, so I just turn. And some people say things I don't want to hear, and I can't turn, and I act like I'm deaf in both ears. But how um, I many's in a good mood today? How I many's in a good mood to be spiritual? preach spoke what i'm actually the teacher brother jones we are me and you are getting cheated now the other guy the other guy he preaches at night to the dignitaries that's really not fair tonight me and you could bind his spirit we are that strong we are that spiritual or we could work and maybe he could lose his voice that's happened here at the camp several times they call on us. We need the extra money too. Well, you don't. You work in headquarters. You don't, but I do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a good day to hear the word of the Lord. This should be a good day to search ourselves and uh, analyze the careful influences we have on the people that are around us. I do not take for granted the people that I pastor. They are a great group of people, very kind, extremely kind to me. And uh, the greatest quality of the church I pastor, not only do they love the Word of God, love preaching, love preachers, love truth, they love my wife and I greatly. And I'm happy my wife is with me here. And uh, she's a great blessing and a great help to me. And, uh, but my church is extremely kind to my family, to my children. And, uh, I mean, they are very good to my children. And that is, uh, that's one of the great qualities or the great signs of the quality of a good church. A lot of folks can fall in love with a pastor. He don't have to be good. He can be popular. He don't have to be saved. He don't have to preach the truth. A preacher can be loved or hated. But to love a pastor, his wife, and then to love their family as well. Uh, that's a good quality. 
That's a good quality. It's an uh, extremely good quality. And uh, I am blessed with good people. I also am honored that you're here today, and I do not take advantage of you. I went a little longer yesterday than I intended to. I actually had more material than I thought I had. And uh, uh, and I, so I, I went a little lengthy. I apologize for that. But um, I uh, uh, want to say when people come out to hear me speak, I know there are great preachers in this fellowship. I know that. Lord, I know that. And the great men. And so for you to come and take time on a hot day. Now, I know we have air conditioning here. I'm not sure where it's at, but it is here. But um, for people to come and sit and listen to me speak, one day is one thing, two days, three days, five days, five days. I preached last year in Wisconsin. I spoke seven times in Wisconsin. I told him, I said, nobody is that good. Rex Johnson was there. I was, nobody, Rex Johnson, none of us is that good. Here's over and over and over. But people are very kind to hear us. And you're very kind to listen to me. And so I feel an obligation to try to be kind to you and help you hear and understand anything that can help you leave this camp and walk with God. You don't have to be here. I know that. And you're here because, well, first you love God and love truth. And you're very kind to me to even invite me over here. And uh, I'm a little different than a lot of guys that preach. You know, they get rambunctious and wild. They just come down the line. I don't care if I'm never invited back. Bless God, I'm telling you. I'm not like that. I am trying to get invited back. I am very kind. I try to do for the rerun. That's right. That's right. But when it gets down to it, you've got to tell people the truth. There's no other way to be saved than to embrace biblical truth. God doesn't save anybody because they need to be saved. He saves them because they want to be saved. It doesn't matter how much you need to be healed. He heals because you want to be healed. God doesn't bless the congregation because they need blessing. You don't have revival because you need revival. You have revival and blessing because you want revival. You want blessing. Let's all stand, please. I'm going to read to you a scripture. I'm going to talk to you from a little different angle today. And the young man that's putting our scripture up on the wall. That's right. Kind of like Daniel, the handwriting on the wall. Well, actually a little different than handwriting. The hand typing on the wall. And uh, he said, I don't know how you got that title out of that. (laughs) A lot of times I don't know how I get anything out of the title. I don't know how I even get the title. Sometimes I don't even know how I got what I got. But I get through it. But I do want to talk to you about this about the profound influences we have upon the people that are around us. The man over his family, the wife over the children, the husband, the pastor over a congregation, a youth leader over young, young people, Sunday school, a choir leader over a choir. We, we stand in a position to make people that are associated with us to make them victors or victims of what we are. We can equip people to be victorious and to excel and to achieve in the things of God. Or we can make them victims of our attitude, of our spirit, of our behavior. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number 4, I give honor today to all the ministers that are here to 
you, Brother Carney, our district superintendent, presbyters, district board members. I cannot remember everybody's name. Uh, I apologize. I know you're one-on-one, and then sometimes things slip my mind. But I do respect these men, great men, good men, great men. And it's uh, good to see Brother Kraft. And great to see him here. Brother and Sister Roberts, good to see them. Friends from way back. I knew Brother Roberts, I was just a little old boy. He was a grown man, driving a big car, had a lot of money, building roads, and I was just a little old kid. I've been knowing you for a long time. Brother Dylan told me yesterday, last night, he said, don't pick on me. Boy, you picked on me. I said, Brother Dylan, and I know he's not able to be here today. I said, but if you can't run your friends down, who can you run down for crying out loud? And so, but he's big enough that if I say much, he, guy, he could be mean to me. I have to watch these guys. But it's good to be here. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and he gave it to David. And his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out, whithersoever Saul sent him, behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tents and with joy and instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands. David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, to me a thousand. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word and help us today. Oh, how we need you, Lord. And how we need your presence. How we need your voice. God, only you can help us in the way we have to be helped. You may be seated. Thank you for your kindness, for standing. And if you can help me speak today, I'll try not to go so long. But I do want to leave with you something I think is so extremely important, especially in the days in which we live. If you search the scriptures, and of course there are great men in the Bible, and there are mediocre men in the Bible, then there are just bad men in the Bible. I guess to me, you may not share the same view, and it's not critical that we do, but I don't think there's anybody in the Bible that is as bad as a man as was King Saul. And I don't know what it is about a man that can start out head and shoulders above everybody else and end up on his face in the dirt asking a witch for help. I don't know how you can start out so high and end up so low, except you lose your focus. And you lose the understanding of your purpose and your responsibility in the role that God has called you to. Being in the presence of King Saul turned out to be one of the worst things that could happen to an individual in his day. You just can't get any more meaner 
any more evil than Saul became. Everybody who was around Saul was turned into a victim of his insecurities, of his uh, nervousness of the success of others. Everyone become a target for him. Either you had to displace God with him, or you had to suffer the hard consequences. Family members notwithstanding, nobody could get by Saul's anger. And when they sang the song, Saul has killed his thousands, and David, all oh, his tens of thousands, Saul said, what more can he have but the kingdom? Here is a man that's got only one giant killer, killer, one giant killer in the entire world, and he's trying to assassinate him. Most of us does not have giant killers in our lives. Every once in a while, we're fortunate enough to have someone who can really make an impact on us. And sometimes we see just how much we can dismantle them and tear them apart and turn them into just a mannequin with a jaw that will work, praise, praise, and nothing else. And Saul was just that kind of an individual. And yet David was such a different kind of person. And I say this with sincerity because what I say today, I say because I have known people over my lifetime that they could have made so many people victors and victorious people only to make them victims of attitudes and mentality. It means something to be a preacher. It means something to be a man of God. It means something to walk to the platform, to the podium, and address people whom they will hear you say things that they're going to believe and walk out and shape their lives accordingly. And to lose your focus and to lose your connect to God is a deadly, dangerous thing to you, but more so to hear us. Because if you pollute, warp, and mess up an individual in your audience, they in turn have a connection to someone else. They're going to pollute, contaminate, and harm a wife or a husband or a child. That child will grow up anti-truth, God, or church and communicate that. And soon you have the second, the third, the fourth generation that is against God and against truth. And it all started because someone did not know. I stand with the equipment. I stand with the mind, the heart, the call, the ministry within my hand, within the framework of what I am today. I stand in a place right now. I can help people to become victors in the life they live for God. Or I do stand in this place to make people victims of any attitude and spirit and behavior that I got. There are some kids who will never have to have the devil send them to hell. Their mother is going to help that happen. There are some men who will never have to worry about having a great ministry because their wives have determined that the place of the ministry is for new dresses and shopping and new cars. And that's not what we're here for. Anybody who gets self-focused is not going to be any good to God. We do not get focused on ourselves. Our focus is on God. The Bible said, and David perceived that God had made him king for Israel's sake. You're not made king for your sake. You're king for Israel's sake. You're not a preacher for your sake. You're a preacher for the church's sake. 
You're not a choir leader for your sake. You're a choir leader for their sake. You are not a leader for your sake. You're a leader for their sake. You do not have the role and wear the garment of position you wear for your sake. You do it for their sake. A true man of God, the people whom he serves, will get the greatest benefit of his life. He will get the less benefit of his life. It's not to say he will not have a nice home, nice car, nice clothes, and be blessed. God takes care of his children. But first of all, his children must take care of the call and the people and what we do. There's nothing any more important than making a congregation rise to a point of the best they can be when it comes to truth and holiness and worship and godliness. There's nothing any better than having a choir when they sing that they do not get focused on their skill and their ability, but they're focused on giving praise and honor and glory to the God Almighty of whom we serve. We're really not all that good without God. We just don't quite make the run without God. But when God is on our side, and God is in our singing, and God is in our preaching, and somebody needs to say a little amen, so I don't think that I'm out of line here. Does anybody want to throw in an amen here and there? It's okay. Somebody has got this crazy mentality that teaching everybody sets back, be quiet, and gets bored. That's a lie. That's not right. You can learn as you worship, as you praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Rejoice with them that rejoice. So a good amen and hallelujah is okay. And you don't have to shout me down, I know that. But I want you to understand, I'm not being negative today. I'm going to give flip side. But ladies and gentlemen, we stand in a place in our world today. We can take young people in our congregation and raise them high into the realm of spirituality and success in God. They don't have to play football, basketball, cheerleader, and rise in the world to be great. You can be great right here in the house of God, in the kingdom of the Lord, and among the people of God. But somebody has got to make up their mind. When David, and this is where my title comes in. got me? How you doing? How you doing? Okay? Good. Where's my sound man at? Wake up back there. How you doing, buddy? You're doing a good job. You are doing a good job. Let me tell you about sound men. Sound men, I don't think we're going through the tribulation. Some of you may think we're going through the tribulation. I don't mind you going through it. I'm not wanting to go through it. But if the rapture does take place, when I was on the district board, a young man said, uh, no, I believe we're going through the tribulation. I said, well, if we don't, the Lord takes us and we grab you and pull us with us. You won't have a problem with you. No, no, I'll be glad to go with you all. Okay. But sound men, the tribulation for them would be no problem. They go through so much anyway. It'd just be a breeze. Can you make it through the tribulation? I've been a sound man seven years. I can handle seven more. It's no but you've done a great job, young man. Great job. You work in what? The monitors? You're doing a great job. Good job. You feel okay? Doing all right? You're in a good mood. Hadn't made you mad yet. You're okay. Okay. We're going to pay you good. We're going to pay you good. They're going to pay you. I ain't going to pay you nothing. They're going to pay you good. But when Saul was afraid to fight the giant, David stepped out and fought the giant. You know the story. But here's the point that is so critical and so good. When David defeated the giant, he come by Saul's tent and he dropped uh, the head of Saul in the tent, I mean the head of a Goliath in the tent of Saul as a symbol of victory. He took Saul's armor to his own tent. 
And then he went by and spoke with uh, Jonathan. And Jonathan looked at him. And the Bible said, And Jonathan saw in him something that nobody else had ever seen. Even his brothers did not even see it. He saw it. And he said, Here, here David, I want you to take this robe and wear it. No, yes, no, no, no. I want you to wear my robe. I feel good giving this to you. I want you to wear this robe. Better yet, I want you to take... Here, take my sword. No, yes, no, I want you. You are going somewhere. Take my sword. Take my bow, the arrows, the girdle, the weapon. And the Bible said that Jonathan stripped himself, stripped himself. He didn't volunteer to teach him anything. He volunteered to give him everything he would need. You're on your way somewhere. There's something on your life. You're somebody to God. You stepped out in an area where nobody was willing to step today. I am going to give you everything you will need to be a victor from this point on. I am equipping you to be somebody that can do something. Jonathan ran into severe problems with his father over this. His father looked at him and said, Jonathan, don't you understand that as long as the son of Jesse shall be alive, you will not be king. Jonathan said, I, Papa, I'm not interested in being king. I'm interested in serving you. And when your time is up and God takes you, then if I'm around, I'll serve David. And David is your friend, and I'm your friend. And he said, no, you don't understand. David is our enemy. He's got to be eliminated. We have got to destroy him. He is a victim. We must wipe him out. But Jonathan said, but Papa, you don't understand. That man is a good man. He delivered you and me and Israel by the hand of God from the hand of that great Philistine Goliath. And I, I, I want, we don't need to harm him. And I, we need to help him. And he's not against us. No! No! He should die! It was high risk. It was high risk. Now the thing about Jonathan, and this is a piece of heavy material that I'm about to say here, but I say it with kindness. Jonathan explained to his father in simple words, Father, I have no ambition to be king. Number one, I don't have the call. If I don't have the call, I don't have the ambition. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a difference between a call and an ambition. And what is the difference? It's one thing to be called into the ministry. It's one thing to be called to minister. It's one thing to be called of God or singled out or anointed for a specific place to roll. It's another thing to be ambitious for something. Now here's the difference. A man that is called to do something for God does not have to step on, break, destroy, harm anybody on his way to fulfill his call. But a man with an ambition will climb on anybody, everybody, stand on any shoulder, any back, any head, uh, destroy and break anybody he can to get to the place that he's eyeing to be. Ask Absalom. He'll tell you. 
He has no problem telling you. If I were king, he stepped on his kids, he stepped on his wife, he stepped on David's wives and concubines, he stomped on David. Nobody was too big, too small, or too anything. When a man's got an ambition, or a woman has an ambition, a music director has an ambition, they can get dangerous and they can get deadly. If you don't have a call, you don't need the ambition. It is all right to be ambitious about a call, but it is not right to let ambition rule your life above a call of God. David was called of God. He had to kill nobody in the kingdom. He had to destroy no king. He had to assault no family member. He had to do no damage to anybody to fulfill the place that God had given him to fulfill. If God has called you somewhere, nobody has to die for you to fulfill the call of God but yourself. The only man that's got to die to fulfill the call of God is the man with the call of God. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth forever. But but if it can't die, it has no future. The future of your call is in the dying of what you are to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, to ambition, to carnality. If you cannot die, you have no future in the call of God. But if you die, you can't bring forth much fruit. Everybody should not die. Saul every child he had was a victim of him they all died they all were no more and most of them died violent deaths grandkids were hung in trees seven of them to die because of what he did to give you Rizva, a concubine. And a concubine was not a harlot in those days. She was simply a legitimate wife, but a secondary position. She had no inheritance, or her kids rather had no inheritance in the relationship. Saul said this. I want to, um, I want to eliminate David. The servants said, I better way to do it. They sing about the Philistines, dump him in their lap. Let them take him out. You don't have to do it. Good advice. And he said, David, how would you like to have one of my children? How evil can you be? How wicked can you be to sacrifice a child's life to help destroy somebody? I love my children. When my son had cancer, I prayed to God if there's any way you could take it from him and put it on my body. I would please, I would be pleased for you to do that. And the Lord said, I'll do better than that. I won't give it to you and I'll take it from him. And so Saul had made up his mind and said, go out and uh, if you can destroy a thousand, a hundred Philistines, bring me the evidence of it. Then um, so be it. And David said, I am not worthy of Mary, your daughter. I, I, I am I am, I'm the son of a, of a common man, a simple man. I, I have no worth of being a king's son-in-law. I'm just here to serve God and serve the king. He said, bring back the results. And so he told Merib, said, I will give you to David. She said, oh, Papa, I don't know if that's, don't worry, you're not going to marry him. The guy's not going to make it. They're going to kill him. This is just a setup. Don't worry about it. He comes back with his results of 200 Philistines killed. 
And Saul winds up, instead of a funeral, he's got a wedding on his hands. But he gave Mirab to somebody else. You, you take her. David can't have her tossing, playing, pawning his kids in such an arrogant way of a man. And the only reason he did it all is to make sure I keep the throne, I keep the seat, nobody gets it. Nobody needs a place that important to their life. The most important influence in your life is to be God. It's to be the power, the voice, the presence. I guess I'll preach by myself today, but I can do it or teach. But he turned and said, uh, they said, did you know that Michal, his daughter, did you know Michal is wild about David? She loves David. Israel loved David. Judah loved David. Michal loved David. Servants of Saul loved David. Everybody loved David, but Saul, Saul didn't love David. Michael loved Saul and loved David. David loved God. Michal was after David and David was after God. Saul was after David. You talk about a dysfunctional family. Somebody said, you know, those are cultures of those days are not like the culture of this days. I'm sorry, but you haven't read your Bible, Bozo. You need to get back. That was a difficult world to live in. It's just a difficult world today to live in. But the answer is not the culture of the world in which we live, but it's the God of this world that is our God, the King of Kings, and that's who's going to get us through everything we're dealing with. So don't start. Don't, don't go there with that. And so Mikhail had a chance to get David. And she got David. Let me give you a little quick history of all these people because it's so critical. Jonathan went to war with Saul in a place outside of the will and the providence and the mind of God. Saul died and Jonathan died at the hand of the enemy. When Saul finally got through to God through a unique way, that's what startled the witch, that some results happened. Witches know they don't have really these results. They think they do. And so Samuel said, why have you disquieted me? This time tomorrow, Saul, you and your family, your kids, your son, they're going to be with me. Israel, y'all going to lose. You're going to die. And it, it was a terrible depression upon Saul, years of being tormented by the powers of darkness. But it happened. The first son is taken out and done away with in the battle outside of the will of God. A great man, Jonathan, dies. Merib. History says she died later of something, died as a young woman, had several children left. Mikhail took the kids over and began to be the mother to the children and to raise them up. The unique thing about Saul was that when you got around him, you had to suffer. They was told that a priest helped David. He said, did you help him? No, my Lord, I did not help him. I only gave him something to drink, something to eat, uncommon bread. I gave him that, and I gave him the sword of Goliath that he gave me to keep in the ephod, and I gave that to him. He said, "You and 85 valiant, gallant men, priest of God, was wiped out in the land of Nob, and they were eliminated at the hand of Saul. Who would kill him? Saul didn't first put his hand. He asked his soldiers, fall on him. They would not. But there was one, Doag, an Amalekite, the grandson of Amalekak. Amalekak was the grandson of, of, of Esau, Edom. This was the flesh side of, of the nation of Israel and the world. It was the evil side at that day. And this man was willing to fall on this. And this man was willing to kill him. And so others fell in. And they wiped out all these priests. You just couldn't get by with Saul. But Jonathan had such a difference. He saw that there was something to do. And he gave David something that would make David a great warrior and a great man. We stand 
stand in the world today. And we stand with people at our disposal in various ministries of our churches. This is our day to furnish our people with everything they need to be victorious in the world in which we live. When people come to an apostolic church, they don't need to be made victims of doubt, of criticism, of jealousy, of animosity toward each other. When people walk into the kingdom of God, into the church of the living God, they don't need to come into a service of browbeating and bashing because everything is not perfect. They need to walk in with their hands open and their hearts open and their minds open. We're going to give you the word of God. We're going to have a move of God. This Sunday morning, God of heaven is going to move in this place. You're going to get healed today. You're going to get blessed today. You're going to be lifted up. You're going to leave proud and pleased that you're a one God, apostolic, Jesus name, spirit filled, holy, godly individual. And I'm going to put in your hand something that you can meet the devil with Monday and meet the devil with Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I'm not stripping you of everything that's good. I'm going to load you down with word, with spirit, with power, with faith, with joy. When you walk out, you will be a victor in this world. You may be seated. When we send our kids to school on Monday, they ought to leave not with a negative attitude about Sunday and Sunday night. They ought not to be leaving that, uh, well, Susie got to sing in the choir last night and you didn't. You're better than Susie. Mama, you need to dump that garbage, get full of the Holy Ghost, get your mind clean. Your children do not need to walk out into this world without weapons to fight. This is a vicious world. It is an evil world. It is a desecrate world. And the only answer we got between us and God is the preacher and mom and dad and good leaders in our church. So what you do is you tell that child Monday morning when she or he goes to school, if they don't have prayer in school, it doesn't matter. Me and dad's praying. We're praying. The church is praying. The angels are with you. God is with you. The kingdom is on your side and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the kingdom don't have any second thoughts you are victorious you will be a victor you will do it and preachers need to stop telling congregations that nobody wants what we got God did not give us something nobody wanted. That would have been stupid. Our God is all-wise and all-knowing. He gave you what this world wants, but whether they want it or not, they need it. We need to stop telling people that you can't live holy in this world, that you can't live separated, And we as Pentecostals need to stop being so intimidated. One man told me, he said, uh, I guess you're kind of holier than thou. I said, well, I am holier than some thou's. I don't know who you're talking about. But if you're talking about you, yes, I am. There's no sense in being intimidated about everything. Somebody said, I think you and the United Pentecostal Church is in bondage. I said, well, of course we're in bondage. The Bible said this in 1 Corinthians. That if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. You're no longer under bondage. A marriage relationship brings a bondage to both people. When you get married, there's a bonding. 
You can't sleep with who you want. She can't sleep with who, with who she wants. You can't go off when you want to go off. You're accountable to each other. Yes, there is a bonding of that relationship. Yes, I am in bondage to Jesus Christ. I don't wall around with anything else. I don't wall around with false doctrine. I don't wall around with people that don't want false doctrine. I am in a bondage to Jesus Christ. I have no problem with that. I'm not uncomfortable with that. Now, you're different from me. You've been free. You can live, believe, act, go, dress, and behave any way you want to. I don't live like that. I don't like that. It's not safe, and it's not good. I like parameters. I like boundaries. Uh, I like that. So quit being a wimp about everything. Everybody don't want Jesus' name. Quit being a wimp. Quit being a wimp when you talk in tongues. Quit being a wimp. You may be seated. I just don't know what it is about this generation. Can I go a little farther here? Maybe a little mean. You won't cut my pay. I'm struggling. Ladies and gentlemen, our ladies are beautiful ladies. Now wait, wait. The problem is not, I don't know what it is. Sometimes a woman can be 50 pounds overweight wear flip-flops through the mall, don't have hose on, her hair put back in a ponytail, and she's complaining about a little gray. There are other things you can tend to. That's right. You could put on hose, put on some nice dress shoes, dress yourself up, fix your hair, put a big smile on your face because you are good looking. But the idea is that we've got to compromise this because the easiest thing is to streak it up. It's a lot easier than losing weight, brushing my teeth, using deodorant, smell good, dress up, fix up. we got to get rid of this Walmart, Kmart mentality. I don't like to shop at Kmart or Walmart. I'm not too good. I just don't like to stand there and go through. you got a driver's license? Yes, I do. you got a birth certificate? Yes, I do. How old are you? Is that really you in the picture? Yes, that's me. I'm sorry, sir. The price ain't even on the thing. we got to call somebody else. That's okay. Let me just go somewhere else. Now, I, I'm not, that's fine with me. Walmart's great. Sam did a great job and all that. Blah, blah, blah. Good. That's not my point. My point is this. We've got to stop being intimidated by the world because that intimidation gets into the church. No couple here should feel sad, depressed, or unhappy because your child is in the kingdom of God. If my boy wasn't in the choir, he probably, probably could have played football. That is a paganistic position. We're not pagans. We're one God, Jesus name, apostolic people. So you need to tell your son, boy, you sang good. You sang good. You sang good. You sang good. Tell that daughter, you sang good. You sang good. You sang good. You look good. You are good. The guy that gets you is going to get a princess. The girl that gets you is going to get a great guy. Don't back down. Don't be weak. Don't be a whim. Stand your ground. Be strong. Be tall. Be solid. Come on, put in their hands of confidence. You can live for God. You may be seated. We need to get out of this mentality of feeling sorry for our young people because they, quote, go to church. My wife and I decided a long time ago that we together would be the strongest influence in the life of our kids. Nobody else will be the dominant influence. We will be that dominant influence. Let me tell you something else about your kids. Some parents... There may be some here right now. And preachers as well. Let me be bold to say this. I love the ministry. I do not attack preachers. I support preachers. I'm not anti-preacher. No preachers ever suffered at my hands. But gentlemen, people, we've got to understand the importance 
of those that are connected to our lives. To build into them the confidence in truth and in God and in loving the Lord. Preacher, sometimes we feel our church does not love us like we love them. And they don't and they never will. And our kids, parents, our kids will not love us like we love them. I just love my child so much and they don't seem to love Your child will never love you like you love them. It cannot do. There is no backwash of love like that. It will not happen. They're not supposed to. You are to love your child in such a way that when they grow up, get married, they will love their children as you have loved them. They do not send their love back to you. They perpetuate it into the next generation and the next generation. We don't need it to circum, uh, to go through a reciprocal till it dies. That's not what we need. Your church is not to love you the way you love them. You're the shepherd. They are the sheep. They are to love souls as you love them. And if you'll love them, they'll love a lost world. And they will help you grow people into the kingdom of God. So my church should respect me and honor me. And they do far more than what I deserve. But I don't ask for love. Love is an option. I don't manage your love. I don't manage your response. I lead. You decide how you want to respond. If you love me, good parents, stop trying to behave in such a way to get your children to love you. Don't behave in a way, if I do this, they'll love me more. Don't do that. Do what is right. Let them decide if they want to love you or not. If they do not love you, that's their choice. If they do love you, that's their choice. You do what is right and leave them with the option to decide what they're going to do. God does not make anybody love Him. But God so loved the world, He did this. It wasn't how much they would love Him. There was no guarantee of anything. Just love your church, love God, love the truth, and let each one manage the responses and the results as they should be. Where is David? Michal said, Papa, he's sick. I'll see if he's sick. She put an image in the bed. She told David, her husband, Ladies and gentlemen, there is more people has attacked that poor girl than anybody in the Bible. And she is not worthy of your attacks. She had a father who was king who hated the man she married who was anointed king. She loved David. She loved her father. She was torn between the two allegiances. How do I betray my father? How do I betray my husband? How do I survive this terrible, distraught position that I'm in? And so she told David, said, when the sun rises, my dad, he's going to kill you, David. And you got to go. You got to go. And so David escapes. The next morning they invade her house. And Saul looks, what have you done to me, daughter? What have you done to me? You have befriended my... Papa, you don't even understand. That's my husband. You gave me to him. I love him. He's 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 not out to hurt you, Papa. But you're trying to kill him. And you're killing all of us. You're destroying all of us. You threw your spear at Jonathan the other day. You threw your javelin twice at David. You're killing everybody. 
We could have a peaceable kingdom. We could have a great family. But you're killing us all. So he fixed her up. He gave her to Fatel, another man. That's your husband. This is your wife. Get out! She reminds me, I don't want to see her face. She reminds me of David. Get out! So the war goes on. Eighteen years. Jonathan and Saul die. Merib, history says she died. They cannot find her anywhere. Assumption of some disease, she died. Michal is living with another man, Charles. Years with David, Charles. Patel, Charles, Charles. David then ascends to the throne. Abner says, David, uh, I can bring Saul's army, his people. I can bring that part of the kingdom to you. David said that would be good. Joab said, no! David said, yes. Let's put Israel back together. So what happened was that Abner goes. David said, before we bring Israel together, I want Michal back. He goes and he brings Michal. The husband follows her weeping. I want you to see the picture of a girl, number one, who loved a young boy who killed a giant. And who rose up in the eyes of God as a great man, a man after God's own heart. I want you to see David as Michal saw David as a young woman finding love in the heart and the arms of a man whom God had chosen. I want you to see how she's torn between her husband, her brother, and her other brother, and her sister, and her father, and trying to balance the act of life. I want you to see someone that her husband had to go in exile and flee and run, and she is picked from him and placed in the arms of another man to be his wife. I want you to see someone that was nothing but a pawn in the hand of a man who was anointed to be king, to lead God's people to greatness, to lead God's people to victory, and instead he only led them to violence, to defeat, to blood, to pain, to sorrow, and making them victims. This girl was a victim when she could have been a queen on the throne and so Abner says uh, I'm going to have to take her to David Patel says no that's my wife no you don't understand
the ark home. He dances before the ark of the Lord. He dances out of his royalty. Mikhail, looking at him, finds fault. When he comes into the house, catch the picture carefully. He said, oh, did not the king really do it up today? And it set David off. And he said, your problem is... God chose me over your house, your father, and everybody else. God chose me over everybody. And it eats at you, woman. The Bible said that she had no child the rest of her life. It did not say that God shut up her womb. We hung that on here. No scripture says that. It's good preach material. The Bible does not say that. She made fun of someone that worshipped God, therefore she was barren. That's preachable, but I don't know how true it is. It did not say that. Now let me give you a different view. If the ladies of this church here today saw your husband dancing and half of his clothes fell off before the youth choir, you would say something. The district board probably would say something. Am I close? Let me move back over this way. I'm not justifying anything. I'm not condemning David. But sometimes situations are... Not all situations are spiritual or damnable. Sometimes they're just life. And this woman had one raw deal with life. She didn't hate children. She took care of her sister's kids. She had to relinquish some of them up at the death, at the end of dying time. But she never had a child. I tell you what I feel for this woman. I feel that she could have been a queen. But she was the victim of a man that made up his mind that his throne and his position, his honor and his wealth had greater significance than her or the other child, the other daughter or anybody else. And when Saul was gone, Jonathan was gone, and David was coming back into power, Ishbosheth, the other son of Saul, took the throne of what was left of Israel on the flip side and said, I am king. Two of the servants walked in, deceived him, and cut his throat, cut his head off, and brought it to David. And he said, oh, 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 oh. When they told me they had killed Saul, they thought I would rejoice. How much less should you even think that I could rejoice? When you have destroyed an innocent man in his own house. Oh. Saul died. Jonathan died. Mikhail in miserable exile. Tossed to any man that they could win something for. Mary gone. And now Ishbosheth cut his head off in his own house. Destroyed him. Saul, what have you left us? Left you graveyards, blood, heads, guts, a man in exile. I have left you a life of misery, and I'm going to the next world, and I don't know what awaits me. Ladies and gentlemen, when Saul took the throne, we can all look back now. If he just would have loved David a little bit, or maybe if he would have just loved Mikhail a little bit, or maybe if he would have just loved Jonathan a little more, or maybe it better let Ishbosheth be a good guy to hang around and toss the football with. Just something. But instead, everybody is a victim at his hand for what he wants. Let me, and I don't want to be negative today, but I do wish to God in heaven that whenever you leave and you stand before a Sunday school class, or a group of young people, or a corral, 
Or you stand before a congregation. Or you stand before the ladies in your church. That you would remember, I am not going to make them a victim. Of an attitude. Or a jealousy. Or a self-focus. Or my own spirit. I am going to give to everybody under the sound of my influence and my voice. I am going to give them a weapon to fight with. I am going to give them faith. I am going to give them strength. I'm going to give them words of praise. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to see that my boy and my girl live and die as apostolic Jesus name believers. This choir is going to sing not to make me look good, but to make the God of heaven look good. This youth class is not going to grow so I get a plaque. But this youth class is going to grow because I'm saving kids from drugs. I'm saving them from pornography. I'm saving them from premarital sex. I'm saving them from a world of evil and a world of wickedness. I have made up my mind. I am going to make you a victor. It takes a lot to do that. The thing that made John the Baptist so great was he just shrunk the whole time. Jesus kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. John kept shrinking. It matters. Elisha said to Joash, I'm dying, but Syria is a great problem to you. And Joash said, oh my. I don't want you to die. I've got too many enemies. I've got too many things that's thrown. I don't. I'm leaving, but I'm going to help you. I want you to strike, smite, strike the ground. I want you to take your arrows and shoot them hard and let them strike deep into the ground. Just do it. Go for it. And he shot one arrow and then another one. And then he hesitated and he shot the last arrow. And the dying man of God waited, waited, waited. Is that it? Are you through? Are you finished? Why didn't you keep doing it? And the Bible says the man of God was wroth, wroth. Why didn't you keep it up? What's wrong with you? Well, wasn't three times. No! Now what you've done is you will defeat Syria three times. But you'll need to defeat him the fourth and the fifth and the sixth time. But I will be dead. I won't be here. I set you up to be a victor. I set you up that you could have stopped them. I set you up today that whatever you would have done would have took care of your future with Syria. And the problem is that I'm dying. And when I'm dead and gone, Syria will be smitten by you three times. And then the fourth and the fifth, they'll come back. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are thousands of years later. There is still a Syria and they're still attacking Israel. Here was a man that had it in his And here was a king that had the opportunity of a life. If you've got a good pastor, if you've got a good mom and dad, if you've got a good musician and a good youth leader and somebody that cares about you, and they're telling you, come on, let's go, let's sing, let's worship, let's pray. Come on, let's sing, let's worship. 
Well, I sang, you know, I sang. You can't just say, no, 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 don't, don't talk, 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 talk back. Don't, don't come across with all of that. Don't give us all that mumbo jumbo. Don't act like you're having to quit out too much because you went to church twice in the same week. Don't go there with all that mess. Just keep striking, keep striking, keep striking because there's a good chance when I'm out of the picture, mom's out of the picture, dad's out of the picture, that you're going to take the enemy out of the picture as well. I can't be with you always, but God can. And victory is already set in motion today. Some people's defeat, some people's victory was set in motion five years ago. So now, oh man, when a pastor stands up Sunday morning and says, let's all stand, sing, and worship God. Oh me, don't even go there. Don't even go there with that. Huh? Just stand up and sing. And when he says, oh, we can do better than that, say, yes, we can. And we will. We'll do better than that. Let's all clap our hands and shout. And you clap your hands and shout. And that's all just magnifying. Someone says, I don't feel led of the Spirit to clap my hands. The Bible never said clap your hands because you're led of the Spirit. The only thing you have to do by the Spirit is talk in tongues as the Spirit gives hundreds. All the rest of it is acts of worship that you do in surrendering your obedience to God. You don't have to feel a thing to say hallelujah. You don't have to feel a thing to say amen. You do it because you love God. You're obedient. God's worthy of it. God... You don't praise God on what you feel. You praise God on who He is. He's worthy of all your worship, worthy of all your praise. You ought to be shouting hallelujah, thank God, amen, and praise God. That's what ought to be going on in our life because He is worthy of it. But, oh boy, time's going. i got to hurry here. Just one or two more illustrations. Let me build my case a little more because when I'm through, I want a good positive verdict. Your pastor, your mom, your dad, and I know we may not have a lot of teenagers here today. But if you've got a good mom and a good dad that pushes you to pray, pushes you to go to church, don't let you sit on the back pew and say, pinch me with each other and play games and carry home. You thank God for that. They won't let you laze around, wall around in the car, but they bring you out, put you in the house of God, put you up front where you should be. I cannot, I cannot, I just cannot stand this. I just, it's just like prison. No, it's not like prison. And all that garbage in Iraq about how bad we treated prisoners over there. Uh, I don't know about what all went on, but I know one thing. What happened to them in our prison ain't near what happened to them before they got to our prison. Oh, what's going to happen if this falls through and somebody else just having panties on your head is not the worst thing that happens to you. Now, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good right now. I feel uncomfortable. And I'm not crusading any causes or pushing any votes, but I'm just telling you, the world can get so disfocused. But if you've got a mom and a dad that pushes you to be something, get the brakes off. Quit hesitating. Quit resisting. They're trying to put something in your hand to make you a victor in a world that's going to make you a victim. This world says, I can make a homosexual out of anybody I want to. We say, no, you can't. I can make, a, I can, I, I, I can make an addictive to pornography. And we say, no, you can't. They say, hey, I can control that girl, control that boy, and mess up their life, their morals. We say, no, you can't. Because on that side, you got all going for you. But on this side, we got more going for us. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? I'm here to tell you, we're going to take every Sunday and every Sunday night and every midweek service, we're going to turn it into a weapon extravaganza. We're going to put a sword in your hand. We're going to put a weapon in your hand. We're going to equip you. We're going to dress you up. You're going to look mean and tough and daring to be touched. When you step out, the devil will know to take them on 
I got my hands full because they got a praying mama and a praying daddy and a praying pastor. Young folks, get a hold of whatever you can in the kingdom of God. Do it now. Do it. Saul made everybody a victim. On the outside, Saul was all king. On the outside, all king. On the inside, all evil. David, on the outside, all boy, all singer, play music, daydream about God and stone and rock and sun, moon and heaven. On the inside, king, 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 king. Finally, God turns us inside out. And the real man is seen. Jonathan was a good man. David, a good man. And Jonathan said to David, Oh, when you get to be the king, I'll be right there with you. He never made it. There are people today that are on alcohol, drugs, and involved in premarital sex and lovers. That if someone had a took the time, they would have been our youth, our Sunday school, and our choir. But it's just too much trouble to turn people into victors. when we can just vent flesh so easily. Let me close with this. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, Oh, the king's business has required haste. His business is to cut my head off and i got to hurry. That's the real rendition. And Ahimelech said, well, what can I do for you? He said, well, I need something to eat. I mean, we had nothing to eat. And I left without a weapon. I have nothing to fight with. And he said, well, have you kept yourselves back from women this day? Yes, we have. We've been hurt. We, we've had no time with our companions. And he said, then I have some uncommon bread. It's for priests, but I can give you that. This will sustain you. This is fresh baked bread daily. This is good for you. Fresh. And he said, but I have no weapon to fight with. He said, oh, but I have a weapon. It is the sword of Goliath whom you slew in the valley of Elah. When you brought his sword back, I wrapped it up and you gave it to me. And I wrapped it up in a cloth and I laid it behind the ephod. The ephod is the holy garment the priests wear when they offer things, sacrifices, and praise to God. So where has it been all this time? Oh, it's just laying among all the holy things. It's laying among everything that's holy. That's, pure. that's where it's been. And I can give you that. And David said, well, give that to me. There is none like it. And so he reaches in behind the holy garment, the holy place, the holy thing, and brings out a sword and unwraps it and says, here, David said, not like it, not like it. There is nothing like that that has lain among holy things to help us. The charismatic world with their whirliness, bejeweled fingers, slapping the thigh of their leg as they sing and try to look like great worshipers. I do not fault anybody. But there is a difference between looking like a worshiper and being a worshiper. And Saul said, and Saul said to Samuel, Samuel said, you're rejected this day. 
from being king over God's people. And Saul said, walk with me before the eyes of the people that they may see us do sacrifice together. Well, you're not really the man of God no more. That's okay. If you walk with me, I will look like it. As long as I look it, I don't care what I am. The mentality of this society is, as long as I look like I can worship, if I look like I can preach, that's good enough. But it's not with God. I don't want to look saved. I want to be saved. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to look like a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. I don't want to look like I'm on fire for God. I want to be on fire for God. I don't want to scrunch my eyes, scrunch my nose up, and lay my face down, and act like I'm praying. I want to pray. I want to be real. And that's what God's want. God wants in us. And so, he took the sword of Goliath, claimed it for his own, and went forth to take the throne, defeating the enemies of God and take the throne. And when David became king, he started saying, let's pull the kingdom together. Let's make men great once again. Let's do great things. Is there anybody in the house of Saul or Jonathan I could be kind to? There is a cripple kid. Would you bring him? He will set at the king's table. He won't be defeated. He won't be lugged around. He won't be dropped anymore. He'll set with the king. I don't make men vic victims. I make men victorious. David killed Goliath. In the latter years of David's life, they met the family of Goliath, but he had men under him. The Bible said, and these men rose up and killed the family of Goliath. We have one giant killer automatically now made four more giant killers in the kingdom. I will not make you defeated. I will make you victorious. I'll make you a giant killer. You stay with me. We're going to build a great kingdom once again to the name of the Lord. Everybody here has influence. Good or bad, you've got it. Everybody here can have some control over somebody. Good or bad, you've got it. So I challenge you this day not to make a husband, a wife, or a child. A congregation, anybody, a part of your life, make them a victim of attitudes and spirits, mentalities, less than your own. The tragedy is that we suffer sometimes from the Gulliver Syndrome. That means little people with little strings tie big men in big binds down, and they never get anywhere. We don't don't do that. Nobody has to compromise truth to reach a world. The only would, the only reason to reach a world is with truth. If you don't have truth, reaching the world is no longer of any value. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody connected to us, let's equip them. Let's strip ourselves of whatever we may be and funnel that into the life of those around us. God will restore to us whatever we relinquish to make someone strong, effective, and great in the kingdom of God. Look at that wire. Look at that husband. Look at that child. You got a gold mine. You got a prayer warrior in the making. You got somebody that can sing. We don't need Madonnas and Elton Johns. We need good young people alive and on fire living for God. They can sing and bring the house down. We don't need the charismatic world. We need ourselves and our people to rise up. We need to polish our people. We need to equip our individuals. We need to train our youth. We need to prepare our kids for the future. Let's stand to our feet.
everybody here needs to say to the people in your realm of life, if God will help me, I will make you a great warrior in the kingdom of God. When you pray, hell will tremble, the world will be nervous. When you worship God, things will happen. Flesh kingdoms will come. I am going to make your faith. Nobody will be in shackles because I will help them to be strong in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. I need somebody to help me pray right now. Please don't move no more than you have to. If you don't have to move around, don't move around. somebody to help me pray right now. I do not take lightly my response. Pray. Let's take some time. Let's pray. Raise your voice. Let's pray. Let's be serious a minute.